folks welcome back to another episode of triple g ginger's gridiron and golf podcast i am your host stephen kerr aka the ginger and we are back for another busy week here on triple g hope you've been following along as we come up upon the holiday season and uh, lots of content coming out and being produced this week folks we've got our typical weekly podcast releasing Wednesday morning. We're recording here on Tuesday night, December 7th. You'll hear this um, either late, late tonight or early uh, tomorrow morning on December 8th. And as most of you know, if you've been listening along here for the last few weeks, we've got a busy week ahead of us here as uh, we are going to be live at some NFL football games. Um, Wrote them all down. For those that know me close, I uh, did a little project this week and wrote down every single NFL football game that I've been to. And uh, if you include the two preseason games, this will be games 49 and 50 for me, and stadiums, uh, I believe, 12 and 13 or 13, 14, if I can remember correctly, as we uh, will be live on Thursday at the Minnesota Vikings Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, Minnesota, to see the Pittsburgh Steelers play the uh, the Minnesota Vikings. And then we'll be live Sunday in Cincinnati, Ohio, at Paul Brown Stadium for the San Francisco 49ers making the cross-country trip to play Joe, Joe Burrow, uh, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and the Cincinnati Bengals. So real excited for that. There'll be some Instagram Lives at some point. Follow us along on Facebook um, Instagram and Twitter. We're going to release the times of our Instagram live and our uh, Twitter spaces on Sunday and uh, Thursday, all dependent on schedule timing and um, if we're able to squeeze that in there. But uh, you should see those and keep your eyes open for that. Let's get right into it. We've got um, another returning guest, Kyle Madsen, joining us to help us break down that Cincinnati Bengals and San Francisco 49ers matchup. And uh, let's waste no further time. Let's bring them aboard. All right, Triple G listeners, let's welcome back to the show for a second visit. Midday producer at 95.7 The Game, managing editor at Niners Wire, and host of the Chronicle or Candlestick Chronicles podcast at Blue Wire Pods, Kyle Madsen. Kyle, welcome back to the show. Hey, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. You've been... Uh, been enjoying the season so far i know you've been busy with work you said off air there so enjoying it as much as you can i guess i heard yeah yeah for sure it's definitely one of those jobs that um it's a lot but like it's writing and talking about football <laughs> it's not it's not anything you know laborious or anything like that so it's it's what i what i do anyways so it's uh, it's good. not too bad Good stuff. I know you're busy, so we appreciate you coming on here. So, so let's fire right into it. And, and like you said, uh, you've been enjoying the season, and, and we find ourselves here heading into Week 14. You're coming up to uh, to Cincinnati. I'll be at the game live, actually, and that's uh, why we wanted to bring you on. So, um, but what's the what's the temperature like down there? 
what are the fans feeling? How do they feel about this playoff run shaping up over the next five weeks here? And what, uh, what is it like down there in San Fran on the West Coast? Uh, like literally the weather? Uh, no, just the, in terms of the fan base. Um, Got it. Okay. Sorry. I super misunderstood that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, uh, no, it's, it's weird because the 49ers had their, their four game losing streak that, that dropped them to two and four. That's right. Yep. And then they beat Chicago and it looks like, okay, they're going to start rolling, but then they come home and they lose to, to Colt McCoy and the Cardinals by two touchdowns. And then they rip off three straight before the, the weird game that happened Sunday in Seattle, where, between penalties and turnovers and, and special teams miscues, not a lot went right for them. And yet they still, you know, had the ball inside the five with a chance to win it in the final seconds. So there's, there's, there's a weird, there's a weird attitude toward this team this year. Like if they make the playoffs, I don't think anybody's under the illusion that, that they're going to win the Super Bowl. Whereas in 2019, after, you know, seven or eight weeks, it was like, oh, this might be the best team in the league. This year, it's like, okay, if they make the playoffs, you can chart a path to them winning a playoff game or two for sure. But on a week-in, week-out basis, they just haven't been consistent enough. And so a lot of people, especially since that four-game losing streak early in the season, have been looking toward the future and looking toward Trey Lance. And everything that goes wrong with this team gets viewed through the lens of, okay, but what if number five is at quarterback and what does it look like down the road? So it, I, I said at the beginning of these, this season that this year didn't matter. And I meant that in the sense of, yeah, they're going to try and win the Super Bowl, but ultimately this team and Kyle Shanahan and this year's draft are, are going to be judged on Trey Lance. And as long as Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback, it's it's all kind of temporary. And that's how this entire season feels. You know, it's six and six, but there's not a lot of consternation from the fan base because everybody's just looking at it and going, OK, but let's let's see what Trey Lance looks like. Yeah. And, and you know what? I was going to ask you later, but you, you brought it up now. So you might, we might as well hop right into it. Is this Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo's last season at quarterback? Like, is this is this Trey Lance's job next year? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I that that door closed to me. I know there's been reporting to the contrary, but yep. man, I can't imagine a scenario where they're trading three first round picks and people will quibble and say it was two. It was, it was three. They sent three first round picks to get a first round pick back. And they use that number three pick on Trey Lance. When you're doing that, you're closing the door on the Jimmy Garoppolo experiment. They said, Oh, if it's cause he got hurt and you know, when, when he plays, we win and, you know, they gave they gave that all spiel, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan did. But at the end of the day, if that was the case, if it was just injury issues, you wouldn't be trading the farm for a backup quarterback. They they said everything they needed to say about Jimmy Garoppolo when they traded up to number three and they made that pick. Yeah, I agree. And how could you right? How could you not agree? It's it's you're giving up that much capital. Um, you've got to get that guy in the lineup and, and to sit him out for a year. And, and you know, yeah, I know he played early in week four and week five there when, when Jimmy was down, but um, you've got to get him behind center. You've got to get him in the, in that shotgun and, and let him, let him cook a little bit next season for sure. Yeah. And if, if he's not like, okay, let's, let's, let's go to the scenario where the Niners, let's say go nine and eight mm-hmm. and they go to uh, green Bay and win a playoff game and then losing yeah. the, in the, in the divisional round and Jimmy Garoppolo comes back. It's because Trey Lance isn't ready. There's been nothing Jimmy Garoppolo has done this year 
that has said, oh, this is this is the guy. Like they're gonna make a mistake. They're gonna regret letting Jimmy Garoppolo get away. That's not happened. He has his good moments, he has his bad moments, he has his awful moments. And the fact of the matter is, if they were getting more consistently good quarterback play, they'd be better than six and six right now. So that's why they traded for Lance, and that's why he's going to be the starter because Garoppolo just isn't good enough, and the 49ers know it. And if they're going to roll with him next year, like I said, it is that is that is more of an indictment on Trey Lance and where he is in his development than anything Jimmy Garoppolo did to, to prove that he's a franchise quarterback. That makes sense. Um, so you mentioned the the inconsistencies, and and before we get into the the Cincinnati game this week here, and we'll break that down. Who who makes this offense go, go? Because we've seen the up and down, like we've even from from quarter to quarter to half to half. Like you mentioned against Seattle last week, they they come out and they move the ball well, and they, they score twenty three points in the in the first half, and then they can't punch it into the end zone at all, let alone put up any points in the second half. So. Who is it that stirs this drink? Is it, you know, the running game with Eliza Mitchell and sprinkling a little Trey Sermon and, and all the backs that they've used this season? Or is it Debo Samuel and, and his dynamic um, play when he has the ball in his hands? Or is it George Kittle, who's, you know, we know has been around for a while now, but still has, you know, 44 grabs and, and ha- is putting together another, you know, Pro Bowl type season if, if he wasn't out for a few mm-hmm. weeks there, but um, who is it that makes this offense go and how can this offense go to get them into the playoffs? The answer is yes. It's all of the above. And that's how yeah. Kyle Shanahan wants it. He doesn't want a team to be able to key on one player and, and shut down the Niners offense. You know, I think that's why like Bill Belichick last year struggled against Jimmy Garoppolo and, and that Niners offense, the Niners went into New England and blew them out in part because Cam Newton wasn't very good at, at quarterback for the for the Patriots. But um, we've seen Bill Belichick just be able to make an offense play with one hand tied behind its back. Well, you can't do that with the Niners because, OK, you're going to eliminate George Kittle, which teams have for the most part, like you said, for the most part, kind of done this year. But then it's going to be Debo Samuel. And, okay, you're going to take away Debo Samuel and George Kittle in the passing game. Well, hey, there's Brandon Ayuk with 176 receiving yards across two weeks. You know, it's um, if you don't load up the box, Elijah Mitchell's going to get loose. And even when you do load up the box, Elijah Mitchell gets loose. The one problem is, it goes back to what we talked about at the top, is, is it's Jimmy Garoppolo. The Seahawks loaded the box. They brought nine guys down into the box and just made sure the 49ers weren't going to run the football and dared Jimmy Garoppolo to beat him, and he couldn't. Now, there are times where he 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 will, but um, it's it's not it's not consistent enough. So uh, to answer your question overall, if I had to pick one of those players, I think it's Debo Samuel, just because of all the different things they can do off of his ability to run and what he does to opposing defenses when he goes in jet motion across the formation, because now eyes follow him. And the Niners can get him the ball and he's going to make a play or they can go a different direction than the way Debo's running and, and try and get a get a get like a counter action going. So um, if I had to pick one player, it would be Debo Samuel. But the answer is, is all of the above. And that's kind of the way Shanahan wants it. Yeah. And, and you, you talk about Debo and I would I would even add on to that, Kyle, and say not only do eyes move, but footsteps move like mm-hmm. linebackers, linebackers take a step or two that way with knowing how dynamic like how dynamic he is with the ball in his hands like he's top to me he's top two top three at worst top five in the league um with the ball in his hands like he can just make a house call in a matter of uh in a matter of split seconds so yeah he's unbelievable 
let's move uh, to to Cincinnati. We're we're coming, uh, you know, cross cross country here. The game gets flexed to four twenty five start on Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I think the 49ers are going to be able to move the ball against this Cincinnati defense. I look defensively as to how San Fran's going to be able to stop the Bengals. How do you see that playing out? Um, what are they going to be able to do to stop Jamar Chase and uh, T. Higgins, who's come on lately here, and you know the, the steady Eddie and Tyler, Board, Tyler Boyd as well? If I had a good answer to that, I think the 49ers would be paying me to work for, work for them. Um, they they can't. That's the 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 answer. Josh Norman's going to start at one side uh, on on one side at cornerback, and on the other side, you're probably getting like Dante Johnson, who who has been around since I think the Niners drafted him in like 2014, and he had a brief hiatus where he played for like the Bills, but now he's back, and he's just not that good of a player. Like he, <laughs> to be totally frank, like he is, he is a replacement level NFL backup. And it says a lot that he's going to be on the field. Diamador Lenore, their rookie fifth round pick got yep. into the game when Emmanuel Mosley went down uh, their other starting corner, who's having a really nice year. So Diamador Lenore gets into the game and gives up a touchdown, commits a pass interference in the end zone, gives up a 33 yard reception to DK Metcalf. It was just, it was brutal. He was, he was really bad and he gets pulled. And then Ambry Thomas, their third round pick at cornerback can't even get on the field. So they are, they are a disaster at that position. And when you talk about this, this Bengals uh, uh, slate of weapons with Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Tyler Boyd and um, you know, Joe Mixon out of the backfield, it's, it's going to be really, really tough for San Francisco to cover all those guys. So the, the only thing they got to win in a shootout then. Yeah, unless so one of the things that Cincinnati sneaky does a lot is give gives the ball away. Um, they gave it away four times against the Chargers. They've only had two games this year where they've not committed a turnover. And if the Niners can generate a turnover or two, they have 10 in their last four games. If they can generate a turnover or two and not give the ball away, that's kind of been their recipe. They grind out these long drives, they shorten the game, they keep offenses off the field. You know, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins can't dust josh norman if they're on the sideline and that's kind of been their best defense this year is is grinding out long drives getting a turnover turning a team one-dimensional and just making it easier on their pass rush which when it can pin its ears back makes life easier on the secondary but if if it's a back and forth or they're giving the ball away and not generating takeaways i don't know how they stop cincinnati yeah that makes sense and and it'll be interesting matchup uh i'm excited to uh to get out there and, and see both of those teams for sure. Give us a couple X factors in the game. Give it, give us one uh, offensively and one defensively uh, for the 49ers. Offensively, man, um, it's, it's, it's Garoppolo. If he doesn't throw interceptions, doesn't take bad sacks, um, converts on third downs, they can move the ball. Like they, they average six and a half yards of play against the Seahawks. Like it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. Garoppolo, I think was 10 yards, 299 yards on, on, on 30 attempts, like 10 yards per attempt is really, really good. They can generate big plays with George Kittle. They can do so with Brandon Ayuk. Um, and they're down to one healthy running back. It's Jamichael Hasty, who's been their third down back and not particularly effective so far this season. Elijah Mitchell's in concussion protocol. Uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. is dealing with a knee injury. Trenton Cannon had that really scary concussion on the opening kickoff although he hasn't really touched the ball on offense this year. So 
they're not a one healthy running back. They're going to have to throw it a, just because of the, the weapons they have available and B because I think Minnesota, uh, not Minnesota, but Cincinnati is going to be able to run the score up a little bit. So Jimmy Garoppolo is the X factor on offense for sure. Um, because if he's not turning the ball over, they're they're going to be able to to uh, generate big plays and I think score a lot of points. Defensively, it's it's got to be Nick Bosa. If actually, you know, what? I take that back. Nick Bosa is going to be around. It's Eric Armstead. Um, he plays on the defensive end and rushing downs on passing down. He on passing downs he kicks inside and he's second on the team in pressures this year. He has three sacks. He led the team in sacks in 2019. Uh, when they had the really good defensive line, he had 10 that year when he's getting home and he's getting pressure in a quarterback's face. Um, he's really long. He's like six, seven. It's really tough to kind of escape him. And when he rushes inside, he's usually on the opposite side of Bosa and it forces the quarterback to step toward Bosa who, who wins his matchup a lot of the time. So, um, it's Eric Armstead. If Armstead can, can have a good game and pressure burrow up the middle, um, they might be able to generate a couple of those turnovers, but if they're not creating pressure inside and they can ship Nick Bosa and double team him and make sure he's not impacting them, I don't know what the Niners are going to do off uh, defensively. Yeah, and it, and it makes total sense. It gives it gives them that two headed monster um, from a pass rush perspective. You yeah. know that that most teams they can't, you know, the offensive line can't shift and and you know chip and do all those things that they want to do against Bosa to really try to slow him down and limit his ability to affect the game. Right. So having, having Armstead win one-on-one, which he's going to get mostly get one-on-ones will be uh, crucial for them. No doubt. Kyle, a couple more questions here before we let you go. Sure. What's, what's the, uh, what's the path for this 49ers team to the playoffs? You know, I know you said a a portion of the fan base, you would rather see them miss the playoffs and, and, you know, get a better pick and, and move on to number five, like you mentioned, but you know, inside that locker room, you know they're still playing for playing hard for for Shanny, and they, and they're going to want to make the playoffs. But what's the path there? Couple tough road games. What do you see? Kind of uh, how is this playing out for the next five weeks? Man, that's uh, they they host the Falcons and they host the Texans. So if we're yep. if we're chalking up those two as wins, they either have to win at Cincinnati, at Tennessee on a Thursday night, or at the Rams in Week 18 with the Rams maybe playing for something. That's right. Yep. So it's not going to be easy, but a game like a game like Cincinnati, Cincinnati's susceptible to laying an egg. I mean, that loss to the Jets was really bad. And then they followed it up with maybe an even worse performance against Cleveland the following week. Um, If they can go in and like I said, create a couple turnovers defensively, uh, get up a couple scores. um, You, you can see them knocking off Cincinnati and now their path becomes a lot more clear. Uh, Tennessee has not been super impressive with, with Derrick Henry out. I know they've won a couple games, but if you've watched them, they've not been really awesome. You know, that's kind of a winnable game. And then they've, you know, won their last five against the Rams. So you can see it for sure, but it's going to come down to, you know, the cliche is turnovers. You got to win the turnover battle, but for the 49ers, that's it. Like that's what it comes down to. If they're losing the turnover battle, their margin of error is so small, especially with the injuries they have offensively right now with Samuel out and Elijah Mitchell probably out. Um, they cannot give the ball away. And if they do that against any team, Cincinnati, Tennessee, Atlanta, whoever, if they're not giving the ball away and they're generating a turnover or two, they're, they become really, really hard to beat because of their ability to just kind of sustain long drives and do the death by a thousand paper cuts offense. But 
that's that's really the biggest you know turnovers like i said are always important but with this niner team because of how limited they can be on offense they are they're paramount it's it's the the single most important thing for them yeah kyle maybe a weird question but just looking from a from a bird's eye view if if the the 49ers don't make the playoffs here is there any sort of question that pops up to Kyle Shanahan about Shanahan about his job and what the long-term future is there or do you think him and Lynch or he's in Lynch's uh, good books in terms of you know they've still got time to develop Lance and that's the the future moving forward and that he'll, no matter what happens this season that's going to buy him another 2 3 years here um down the road that that de- depends on what you mean. You mean internally with the organization or with the fans? Yeah, fan just internally in, in, in within the organization is in terms of, you know, is there is there any heat for them to to make the playoffs? Because after that Super Bowl run, we I know with the in, like it was crazy injuries last year, and mm-hmm. we've seen that that rash kind of happen again off and on here throughout this year. So it's kind of been two down years, if you will. So. Does he have, is there any heat under that seat in terms of if he misses the playoffs here in, in 2021, or do you think um, the Lance draft pick kind of bought him time here? The, the Lance pick definitely bought him time. Yeah. That's, that's, they just, they just signed him to a, to a six year extension uh, last year. So he's got time. Job security is not a problem for him right now. Now the fan base is a different story. There's already fans that are that are calling for his head before Trey Lance has, has gotten a job as the as the week one starter. But that's what that's what it's going to come down to. His entire tenure, forget 2017 or 2018 or the Super Bowl run in 2019 or 2020. Mm-hmm. Forget all of it. Yep. They could lose the rest of their games. They would be whatever six and eleven. They could lose the rest of their games this year. But if Trey Lance comes in and is Patrick Mahomes, I don't think he's going to be. But let's go there. Let's say he is. Yep. N- then nothing matters. Like Shanahan's good. Yeah. And I think they're going to give him twenty twenty two for sure. And even then, because he didn't play much this year, I could see them saying, "Okay, well, that was kind of really his rookie season." Give him twenty twenty three. And now if in 2023, it's still not working. Now I think there's a lot of internal pressure from an organizational standpoint. And when it comes to kind of the, the construction of the team, cause that's been a big point of, of discussion kind of with the fan base this year, especially with their cornerback situation and some of the, some of the choices they made in the off season, their draft so far has just been a disaster. You know, there's, there's questions about John Lynch and, and his, his spot as the general manager, and whether we might see some shuffling in the front office, if anybody was going to go, Lynch would go before Shanahan. This is very much Shanahan's team. Shanahan hired Lynch, not the other way around. So, if either of them goes, Lynch would go first. Um, and I and I think Shanahan has like rock solid job security. Like I said, through at least the twenty twenty three season. All right, I love it. I love it. Great insight there, especially uh, in terms of front office and and all that talk, Kyle. I want the 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 Kyle Madsen guarantee. Are the 49ers oh going to win? Are they going to win this week in Cincinnati? Uh, I don't think so. Not oh, not oh, with oh, their oh. no, not with their. With, so there's a little bit of a dead cat bounce thing. Um, where no pun intended, but you know they they face planted against Seattle for the most part. They made a lot of mistakes that were just self inflicted wounds. Um, but with Debo Samuel out. 
with Elijah Mitchell pro- possibly out, with Jeff Wilson Jr. probably out. Like it's Jamichael Hasty is going to be the running back with some guy they sign off the streets. They don't have they don't have a running back on their practice squad. Shanahan said they're going to work out running backs this week. Um, if Debo Samuel is not going to play, which Shanahan said he's day to day, Shanahan said on Monday that he's going to be day to day. So I I doubt they try and force him back. Like they're in an okay spot from a playoff positioning standpoint that they could probably afford to lose this game. If it means they're getting a fully healthy Samuel moving forward. I just, I don't, I don't really see, see a path for them. Even with, with George Kittle and Brandon, Ayuk healthy, their receiving core outside of those guys isn't good enough. Um, and I, I think Cincinnati is going to be able to score some points and this, this, this version of the 49ers isn't going to win a shootout. So, um, I, I, I'd buy it if you came from the future and told me the Niners won, but um, I just, I don't think they have the horses right now. Uh, I love it. Well, Kyle, I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate your time. Um, I know you're a busy guy. So for all the listeners out there, make sure you're checking them out. Host of the Candlestick Chronicles podcast at Blue Wire Pods and managing editor at the uh, the Niners Wire. Some great stuff. And uh, thanks again, Kyle. Yeah, appreciate it. Anytime. Always fun talking with Kyle, giving us some open, honest, and candid answers there. Um, I absolutely love it. And I, I, I think the 49ers are going to give him a game. I know Kyle's you know, not as optimistic as I am because of the uh, the injuries, but I'm not so sold on this Bengals squad. And I, I agree with him in terms of they do play sloppy football, and they do give you the football, um, whether it be fumbles or interceptions or sack fumbles. Um, they're not all that buttoned up from the Cincinnati side, even when they play home games. And I know that it's going to be rocking in Paul Brown Stadium because it's an important game for them um, as it's a 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five team. So two teams that are truly playing for uh, for their playoff lives here as we come into the stretch run. So um, real, real exciting matchup. Gets flexed over to 425 start now from a 1 o'clock on Sunday. So... All of the national eyes will be on that game. It will not be the national game uh, televised. That's going to be uh, called by Jim Nance, Tony Romo, and the Tracy Wolfson and the crew from CBS. Um, and that'll be Mr. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hosting uh, the Buffalo Bills. So that'll be the uh, the national televised game, if you will, but still a 425 start. So you'll be able to find that 49ers and Bengals game. Um, so real, uh, real interesting, and it'll be a good game. And thanks again to Kyle for joining us for breaking that down. But let's get into our portion. We're going to give it to you short and sweet tonight, what we learned, contenders and pretenders. I've got a little fourth down stat for you. We're going to look at our week 14 game lines and previews. After the break, we're going to make a couple quick points of, from the golf side of things as it's pretty much fully wound down for the season now across the board. Um, with uh, the the DP World Tour being uh, canceled, nothing happening on the PGA Tour. So it'll be real quiet in golf. We're going to have, like we mentioned last week, we'll have Dutch on in the next couple weeks here to give us our season uh, year in review and look ahead to 2022 season. And uh, we'll be off to the races from the golf side. From Triple G, we're going to bring you right up until Christmas. 
So uh, no need to fret, folks. We'll have it weekly here right up until uh, the week of Christmas. Then we'll take a couple weeks off and come back in the new year, uh, right before week 18 of NFL football and uh, all the way through the playoffs. So real exciting uh, for the months ahead. We've got more great guests lined up in the future as we end off season two and move into season three. But let's segue over and end off week week 13, sorry, and move into week 14. Week 13, yes, I am licking my wounds. The New England Patriots walk into High Mark Stadium and end off week 13 with a devastating blow to my beloved Buffalo Bills. Tough to watch. Um, 48 runs by the stat sheet. Really probably 44, 45, 46 runs, if you will, um, for those, those New England Patriots. In a crazy wild uh, wind game, 55, 65 mile an hour winds. And no ESPN, I don't need to see that on the, the screen on every single possession. And I understand there's new people joining the broadcast as it moves on. But I'm pretty sure that they can see the wind is absolutely blowing things like crazy. But uh, it is what it is. Tough loss. Um, but got to move on to a tough matchup against Tom Brady. But what did we learn in week 13? And uh, we're going to keep it simple from this side tonight. And we're going to break down the AFC and the NFC. So let's start with the AFC and what we learned. And after all of the talk and everything that's happened through 13 weeks of football, all the ups and downs and ebbs and flows and turns and U-turns and this and that, all of the prognostication, what I learned is that this conference is still going to run through number 15, number 87, Big Red in Kansas City, Missouri, and through the Kansas City Chiefs. It's theirs to lose. It's theirs to lose. And you look at it, and we've called a few of them out over the last few weeks in terms of our contenders and pretenders, but is anybody scared of the Tennessee Titans? Ryan Tannehill, not convinced. I think he had his great comeback season and his his last hurrah as a as a top five, top eight NFL quarterback. Derrick Henry's injury is a huge question mark, whether he can return and and be a, even a re- resemblance of his him his old self. Um, AJ Brown and Julio Jones have been on and off the injury report all season long. Um, for them to come back this late and play at an elite level, will be difficult for them. The Baltimore Ravens, um, more injuries than anybody in the NFL, and they continue to pile up with Marlon Humphrey uh, going on IR uh, with a season-ending injury. And that defense was already in tough and already uh, um, ranked as one of the 10 worst defenses in the NFL season in 2021. And now you lose a star cornerback. They're going to be in tough. Lamar Jackson's still not playing well. Um, so it, it, a real tough, tough spot for Baltimore with a tough schedule and a tough division. They're going to be beat up and banged up and still significantly injured as they move forward into the playoffs. The Buffalo Bills, right now you'd have to say that they're pretenders. Uh, absolutely no identity on the offensive side of the ball as to how they want to move forward. To me, a real serious disconnect and question marks in terms of what's going to happen with Sean McDermott and Brian Dable and how they want to fix this offense or move it forward. 
yes, I know they let up 231 rush yards, and and that will be what a lot of people want to talk about. But what I see is, is it's only 14 points, and you actually outgained the New England Patriots by 10 yards. And when it comes down to it, you had five opportunities in the red zone, and you scored 10 points. All season long, this has been an issue for the Buffalo Bills, and they have not been able to figure out the red zone. And they are going to need to figure it out fast because between the 20s, this is still a top-five offense. This is still an elite offense, and you cannot stop them. But what teams have learned is that when that field shortens and you continue to drop two safeties in the box and you tighten those windows, it makes it harder and harder, and they have absolutely no running game. Um in terms of the offensive line and what they can do with Moss and Singletary and Breida. Uh, they've limited Josh Allen in the run game, whether it be that to limit some of the hits that he's taken over the first um, four years in his NFL career. I'm not sure, but um, that red zone threat has disappeared in terms of Josh Allen running the football. Then you've got the the Chargers and the Bengals. We know how up and down they are. We've talked about the Bengals already. The Chargers, who knows what you're getting on a week-to-week basis. They can't stop the run. A team that I've got started that that I think is going to make the playoffs and, and cause damage, I think they're going to win a, a game or two, is the Indianapolis Colts. Stop the run. They can run it like crazy. Great offensive line. Great defensive line. Okay, in the secondary, yeah, they're weak. You'll be able to throw the ball. But if they can somehow sure that up and get playing at a little bit of a better level, Frank Wright's doing wonders with Carson Wentz. I like the Indianapolis Colts to uh, to make the playoffs and, and cause a little bit of damage. And maybe if they fall in at a 6-7 seed, they could pull off an upset on the likes of tennis, the division opponent, Tennessee, if they play them, or a Baltimore or anybody like that who's going to really probably most likely at this point in time um, host a, a wild card game in week one of the playoffs. You have to look at, okay, we'll, we'll chalk it up. New England is going to win the East. Tennessee wins the South, Baltimore wins the North, Kansas City wins the West. So it'll be interesting to see how it shapes out. I think Kansas City is going to take the number one seed, and it's going to go through Arrowhead to wrap up the AFC. From the NFC side, what we learned is is that this is still a toss-up. But it will go through the Super Bowl champs. And, and that's kind of the key point across the board <clears throat> from the NFL is that the AFC is going through Kansas City and the NFC will go through TB12 and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They've impressed me in, in ways <clears throat> they're able. Um, I've said this before on the podcast. They can win in multiple ways. And when teams can do that, that to me is a, an elite football team. And a team that is to be reckoned with, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are that team. The Cardinals got a lot of question marks. Um, I think over the last five weeks, they're going to have to answer some questions about DeAndre Hopkins. When he comes back, is he going to be fully healthy? Kyler Murray, what's going to happen with him? Can he be fully healthy? The Dallas Cowboys, what's happening there? Yes, you beat the Saints on Thursday night, but it wasn't in a convincing fashion. The LA Rams, we've seen the inconsistencies there, and they've beat up on some weaker teams. Big question marks there. To me, we're back to the NFC Championship game again. And whether it's in Tampa Bay or it's in Green Bay, 
the teams that have answered the bell week in and week out are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers. And we're back to where we are in the NFC to where we were last year with those two teams, to me, being the cream of the crop and um, rising to the top for sure, if you will. So that's what we learned back in week 13. Our contenders and pretenders, we covered a little bit, both of them, but our contenders, we've learned that New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs are my contenders. My pretenders are the Cincinnati Bengals, the Buffalo Bills, the Las Vegas Raiders. Listen, you had a chance to get to 7-5 and five and really plant yourself in the playoff picture here in the race with Buffalo, Char- the LA Chargers, the Cincinnati Bengals, and you lose at home in your own stadium, full house, to the Washington football team, who is playing good football, but you've got to have that football game. And the Minnesota Vikings have caught, yes, they've caught the injury bug, but um, do I want them to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers when I'm there live um, at U.S. Bank Stadium, sitting on the far end zone, section 116, on the left side of your screen, by the way, folks, if you're looking, midway uh, row 33 on the way up. But uh, they've got to be pretenders. You lose and allow the Detroit Lions to get their first win and move to 1-10-1 in this season. No matter the injuries or not, uh, you still had Alexander Madison. You still had Tyler Conklin. You still had Double J uh, Justin Jefferson. You still had some pieces to go ahead and win that football game. And Mike Zimmer let his football team down. That was an absolute fucking debacle watching him called defensive plays on that last drive. You you knew Detroit was coming down to score. And to be able to rush three inside your own 20, I, I get get what you're trying to do. You're trying to muddy the waters, having eight guys back in coverage, make those windows even more and more tighter. But when you're given that much cushion off the line of scrimmage, I just don't understand it. I thought he should have dialed up a blitz or two. Jared Goff's a Statue of Liberty back there. He's got no movement skills. So if you can just cause any pressure, he crumbles. We've seen that We've seen that all game long. We've seen that all season long, that if he does not have a clean pocket, it's not pretty. So get after him. Um, just, just poor coaching all season long from Mike Zimmer. And I think if this continues to go south for the, uh, the Minnesota Vikings, that seat could be real hot for him. So that's our contenders in our uh, pretenders before we move to week 14 uh, had a real interesting chat watching football with uh, some some colleagues of mine talking about how the games have changed and, and we've really focused in on this about fourth down and John Harbaugh going forward against the Steelers and and all these fourth down calls uh, all season long whether you agree or disagree with them but what I want to throw out there is, uh, is a few stats for you and I looked into fourth down attempts um, successful attempts and uh, that percentage and and what the trend we've seen over the last four or five seasons and it's significant listen we're up to 528 fourth down attempts in 2021 if you were to 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 uh, equate that to a 17 game season because it's on pace for actually 750 attempts over this 18 game 18 week season um you're around 700 the previous four years, and I'll go in chronological order, 2020, 658, 2019, 595, 2018, 539, and 2017, 485. That's 200 plus attempts 
over the last five years ahead of what we've seen in 2017. That's how this game is changing. And the the success rate, um, you look at 2017, 46%. 2018, 45.7. 2019, 47.9. And then you get last year, 55%. This year, 52.1%. So we're, we're seeing a more fourth down attempts attempted to go for it and pick up the first down or go to win the game or whatever it may be. And we're also seeing a higher percentage. And to me, those go hand in hand in terms of if you're going to attempt more, so now you're out of the traditional fourth and one, fourth and inches, fourth and two, when the game's on the line, last possession. That's the only time we ever used to see it, dating back to 17, 16, 15, 13, and, and even less back then. But now we're getting into fourth and threes, fourth and fours, fourth and seven. And we're getting into what we talked about a couple weeks ago was that your third down, if you know you're going forward on fourth, your third down play call changes. The third down defensive play call changes. And the fourth down defensive play call changes. So now all of a sudden there's different situations. That percentage increases because of all of the things that go into that in terms of play calls, set up, all of that. So real interesting trend here. And it's going to continue. It's going to continue on and, and you're going to have to do it. And where it all prefaced from was, was talking about that John Harbaugh play call. And I was totally fine with it, totally cool with it. Hey, when it works, you're a genius, i.e. Riverboat Ron a couple years ago when he went for it. And when it doesn't work, you get the heat for it, just like Harbaugh will and has um, for the last week against the Steelers. His explanation was great. Um, didn't want to go to overtime. Marlon Humphrey goes down. I think he had another corner down, and he flat out said, I didn't have any corners to go into overtime, and I, the health of my football team was more important moving forward than the situation that they were in. And let's call a spade a spade. What's your what's your percentage on a, on a two-point conversion? 52, 55, maybe even higher? As compared to it, it's a, almost a true coin flip uh, when getting the game to overtime. Let alone the Steelers had the momentum on the road. Steelers had just scored points to kind of take over the football game in the second half. So I'm totally okay with Harbaugh's call there. On to our Week 14 game lines. I'm excited about this Thursday night matchup. Great time prime or primetime schedule. We've got our last four teams on the bye. Indy, Miami, New England, and Philadelphia. By the way, NFL, you suck. Week 14 is way too late. Even in an 18-week schedule, way too late for a bye. Everything's got to be done by week 13. Give us five good long weeks um, of good NFL football. Team's got the same amount of games played. The standings are good. I'm saying week 14 is way too late on the bye. Back to the primetime schedule. We've got the Steelers at Vikings. Six, five, and one Steelers visiting the five and seven Vikings. Vikings are three-point favorites, 43.5 on the game line. I like the Vikings at home. I think Dalvin Cook's going to play. I think they're going to get Barr and Kendricks back by the sounds of it. And um, I just don't trust the Steelers on the road to, to let alone win, but to cover any game. I like the Vikings there. Sunday night football. We're at Lambeau in a, the historic Chicago Bears. 12.5-point um, underdogs at Lambeau to Aaron Rodgers. Um, no feelings either way on this game. But um, a, a good historic matchup for a good primetime schedule here in Week 14. By the way, Week 14 is a real solid week 
you know, seven, eight real good matchups with playoff implica- implications as compared to week 13. Uh, just didn't have that. It was a week of the home dog and just a lot of um, not very good football teams matching up against each other and just poor, poor games overall. So to the Monday night primetime matchup, it's a huge one. Um, you know, the biggest game of the year is always the next one. So we move from a big Monday night matchup with Patriots and Bills to another big Monday night matchup, the Rams at the Cardinals. Cardinals two and a half point favorites, 52 on the game line. I like the Cardinals. Like I said earlier, Rams have not beat anybody. It's a big game for them, but I think the Cardinals have to answer the bell as well. Um, 10 and 2, but they've got to prove, like I said, that they can go toe to toe with these big name teams and knock them off and do handle their business. And, um, you know, with the Packers and the Buccaneers staring right up at them at that number one seed, everybody wants to have that number one seed and not have to play on that wild card round rest up and lurk in the weeds for whoever you're going to play um, and have a little bit of time off. So interesting and big matchup on Monday night and some more big matchups. Um, one, o'clock, one o'clock has four huge matchups. Baltimore at Cleveland, 42 on the game line. I like the under here. Cleveland, two and a half point favorites. Not so sure about that. I got to like Baltimore. Uh, eight and four versus six and six. Big matchup there. Uh, Cleveland playing for their playoff lives. Uh, Dallas at Washington, three and a half point favorite on the road, 48 and a half on the game line, eight and four versus six and six. That, those records seem to be uh, reoccurring here, as you'll see, um, three in a row. The third one being the Las Vegas Raiders at the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs are nine and a half point favorites, 48 on the game line. I like the over here. Uh, traditionally, the Raiders play the Chiefs tough. But I just don't know if I trust this Raiders squad. Uh, they're going to need to show up in a huge matchup as well. They're in the same boat as Cleveland, uh, playing for their playoff lives as compared to Washington at 6-6. Six and six. Can afford to lose to Dallas there. But I do like Washington at a home dog um, at minus 3.5. I think they're pounding the rock. They found their formula. They're getting hot. I like the Washington football team here. And the final big matchup, it's not uh, sexy in the standings, but it is season on the line, and that is in the NFC South as the Atlanta Falcons play the Carolina Panthers. Carolina's is not a good football team right now. Offensively, they stink. Uh, they can't move the football. They can't score. Defensively, they're still a good squad. To me, they're still a top five, top eight defense in the NFL. But I like the Falcons. They went toe-to-toe with the Bucks, minus a couple plays. They, they uh, were right there in that football game, um, losing 28-17. to and had the ball uh, late in the game on the fourth quarter to have an opportunity there. So real interesting. And then the the, the last of the big matchups, as we've previewed the, the 425 start between Cincinnati and, uh, and the 49ers. But uh, it'll be probably the most watched game of the week. Maybe the Sunday Nighter might beat it out. But um, Tom Brady gets to play one of his favorite teams that he loves to beat up on. And that's the Buffalo Bills. Uh, seven and five Bills heading to Tampa, nine and three in a big matchup. Uh, Bucks favored by three, 52 and a half on the over. I like the Bucks minus three. I think Buffalo hits rock bottom this week and loses at Tampa and then has to rally uh, to win three of the last four to, to probably make the playoffs here. So, um, huge game for the Bills, big game for the Bucks, um, not so much for their playoff 
implications, but more for if they want to go ahead and challenge the Cardinals here for this number one seed, uh, a win at home against Josh Allen and the Bills would go a long way. So big week 14 week, big week here on Triple G, folks. We've got uh, Instagram live on Thursday. Check out all of our social medias to catch the time at Ginger Triple G. We've got uh, Twitter spaces on Sunday, probably going to come around 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, previewing the Bengals hosting the 49ers. That Thursday game will be Vikers, Vikings stealing, Steelers, and I may even do it live from U.S. Bank Stadium uh, if the timing works out as well. So we'll keep you updated on timing on all of the content this week. Folks, let's send you off the break, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Real-life passion. For real life sports. Here comes the, here comes the, here comes the, y'all don't really want it like yeah. Here comes the, no, here comes the. All right, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there from Triple G. We're going to end this episode off real quick. Real short and sweet because there's not too much happening in the world of golf. Number one, wanted to give a shout out to three people. We mentioned them last week on the podcast. That's Danny King, Dennis Hendershot, and Ian Doig. We're hoping that all three were going to get into the final stage of uh, PGA Tour Champions uh, Qualifying School. Hendershot and King did. They are playing right now Tuesday through Friday um for uh for a few spots to have full exempt status on the champions tour which would be absolutely phenomenal uh tough break for Ian Doig um 81 person field goes down to 79 he's uh one of the alternates spent them this morning on the range all morning and the PGA Tour Champions Tour didn't give him the call they let two open spots go um, real tough break. I don't have all the deal details, so I don't understand why they would make that call when they have somebody on the range um, looking to play for an opportunity of a lifetime. And to take that away from them, just f- from a bird's eye view, just does not make not make any sense at all. But I'm sure there's more that went into decision, or I hope there's more that went into that decision. So tough break for Ian. Keep your head high. Keep chasing those dreams. Shout out to uh, King and Hendershot. Hope they can make something happen this week. It would be real great to see more Canadian content out on the Champions Tour. Um, missed somebody last week. Uh, Mr. Lee Elder, our thoughts are with your family. And uh, God rest your soul. Rest in peace, Lee Elder. This was a trendsetter. This is a man who was the first African-American to play in the Masters in 1975. And he's a he's a World Golf Hall of Famer. No questions asked. Um, the stats aren't off the charts, but the time in which he played and what he did and how, how he had to fight against racism and for him to come out on the tour at that particular time was trendsetting with everything that was happening um, in America and across the world. So Lee Elder... Um, tip of the cap to you, my friend, and rest in peace. But 16 professional wins, four on the PGA Tour, eight on the Champions Tour, and four others worldwide. I believe two in Japan um, and two others worldwide as well. But um, listen, this was a man in 1978 and 79 that 
there were not many better in in that. You could probably even say 77 to 80 that were not many better than than Lee Elder. Um, Off the tee, he was uh, pipeline, just down the gut all day long. Um, And he went toe-to-toe with with some of the, 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 the best. No, no questions asked. He wins twice in 78, loses once in a playoff for his third victory to Trevino. Um, lost in a playoff as well, I believe, in maybe 76 or 77 to, to Jack. Um, 79, he makes all four cuts uh, in the majors, finishes in the top 35 or 36 in all four of them. Uh, T17 in the Masters, I believe, T11 in the British. So he was right there. He makes the 90s, uh, He makes a 79 Ryder Cup team. So, uh, Lee Elder, all the best to you. God rest your soul, my friend. And uh, tip of the cap to Lee Elder for sure. And to end it off, a um, little bit of bone to pick with the PGA Tour. Uh, talked about this quickly with my brother, but how in the hell is the World Ch- Hero Challenge getting world golf ranking points? There's 20-some-odd guys in the field. Henrik Stenson and, and Justin Spieth can't even play the right fucking tees on Sunday. Shows how much they cared about the event. Make that event a part of the silly season. You got the Hero World Challenge with Tiger. You got the QBE shootout uh, at Tiburon, the parents event. And then you got the PNC Challenge, uh, the parent-child uh, challenge. And that's it. Let's end it. That event should not be getting world ranking points. What an absolute joke. But uh, on to bigger and better. Like we said, we're going to have Dutch on here in the next couple weeks. We're hoping for next week, but with us going away on the trip, I don't know how that timing is going to work. I'm going to have to lock it down with him. If not, we'll have him on for sure the week after to join in and give the year-end review and really dive deep into the PGA Tour because not a lot's been happening in the world of golf. So it has been mainly a football podcast, as you know. But uh, we're excited to kick it back up into the new year. We're also excited to end off Season 2 with a bang. We're going to get the uh, the 12 days of Triple G. So a look back at all of our amazing guests that we've had over the uh, almost 40 episodes here on Season 2. Amazing how fast two years has gone by. And uh, excited to roll out some new and improved stuff in Season 3 and have more great guests along the way, more returning guests, and some new guests to join us here on Triple G. Folks, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you join us on all of the social media platforms. Pay attention this week. We're going to be live at some NFL football games. You'll have a sneak peek uh, inside view of U.S. Bank Stadium. So if you are looking to go, you'll have a good look at it. We'll get down close to the field. We'll have some fun with it. And we'll catch you next week. (laughs) 